my biological age, if you look back at pictures of me from the early 2010s, like 2010, 2012, um, I, I feel like I look older then than I do now. So I've, I actually feel like I've been able to reverse my biological age through this kind of functional healing approach. Maybe we can include a before and after picture in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, so as it turned out, I'll keep it short. I, I was eventually able to find a doctor uh, in the in the Atlanta area where I was living at the time. He was a traditional medical doctor that was also licensed in traditional Chinese medicine. And he actually did spend some time with me and he ran a whole array of labs that no doctor had ever run on me before, including a thyroid panel. This is really key because no doctor up to this point had ever suggested the thyroid or even run a simple or basic thyroid panel. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. What is going on, my friends? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And our special guest for today is actually the person who was the first guest ever on this podcast all the way back in, my goodness, January of 2021. Kind of crazy that this has been going on for almost two years. I cannot wait for that two-year mark. His name's Ryan Monahan. He is someone that if you're in the world of FDN already, man, you know this guy, you probably love him. If you're someone who's just training or are considering the course or whatever, you might not know this guy yet. And that's completely fine. He's someone that helps a lot with the graduates and he's just a wealth of knowledge, man. It's one of those individuals who does not stop learning ever, but also knows how to execute. And that's a really fine line. I know a lot of people who execute and don't continue to learn. And then I know a lot of people who learn infinitely and never actually actually take the steps necessary to apply what they learned and actually help other people with it. Ryan, at least from my view, seems like a perfect mix of both of these things. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this today. Now, simply because it's been so long that he's been on over 180 episodes at this point, we do touch on his story a little bit today. Very brief, summarized version. It's only going to be like six, seven minutes. And it's relevant to today's topic, so I think it's worth listening to anyway. But of course, if you guys want to listen to his original episode, that will be in the show notes for you guys. I do want to read his bio, though, and then we will get into this today and explain what we're actually doing. Ryan Monahan is an FDN, of course, a board-certified health coach, clinical advisor for functional diagnostic nutrition, and certified AIP coach, which is autoimmune protocol coach. He has a passion for uncovering hidden stressors that contribute to thyroid disease. Throughout his journey, Ryan spent over 10 frustrating years visiting more than 40 health professionals to find answers to his chronic health complaints until being diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis in 2012. Since then, his mission has been to change the dialogue about chronic disease towards a holistic, functional approach, all while helping others restore their health to normal function. Typically, his clients are people who have struggled with finding relief from their autoimmune symptoms. Oftentimes, they feel that they've tried everything and that traditional medicine hasn't served them. In his experience, there is a better way. And we're sure going to talk about that better way today. What we are actually doing is analyzing thyroid labs, and they are the thyroid labs of yours truly. It is a full thyroid panel, well, almost full, we're missing one marker, but we're going to go through all of these markers, what they actually mean, why they matter, how Western medicine has a slightly different interpretation, and most importantly, how even though my labs look great today, from a functional perspective, there was trends that were starting to be seen on them already. So you can follow us along on the audio just by continuing listening to this podcast. That is totally fine. It will not affect you in any way. You, because we're going to read out the markers and read out the reference ranges. It's 
something that we will say everything verbally for you guys. We'll make sure it's covered. But if you want to see the labs and see the ranges and see our faces, if you are listening to this right now, then this is also live on our YouTube page at Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. Just search for us on YouTube. And I will have this linked in the show notes once the link is available. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right, everyone, we are back with an FDN fan favorite. It's Ryan Monaghan. Women love him. Men want to be him. How are you, my friend? We're glad to have you back. Love the intro. Doing really good. (laughs) Really happy to be back. I've, I've been the funniest part is we've been talking for like 15 minutes and he doesn't know I've been holding this in the whole time and just it smacked it with it as soon as we went live. But um, Ryan Monahan was the first guest on the Health Detective podcast. We weren't even called that back then. We were the FDN Thrive podcast. And now by the time you're released, I I always it's tough. I don't know what the numbers are offhand, uh, but you're going to be in the 180s, my friend. So it's kind of cool to finally have you back on. Um, I should have gotten you on wow. way long ago, but I know you're busy. I mean, you're out there doing the work, both in the world of, or sorry, in the uh, actual side of the core side of FDN, helping the graduates and stuff, and then running a beyond full-time practice yourself because uh, he helps a lot of people out there. So we're, we're glad to have you back. Glad to be back. I can't believe it's already been 180 guests on the podcast. That's amazing. Yeah. And some of them are solo episodes, um, to be clear, but it, we were definitely at over 100 guests, that's for sure. And so um, cheers to 100 more. We're, we're going <clears> to <throat> Keep going and not stopping anytime soon. So if you guys want to hear Ryan's story, I highly recommend it. The audio quality is going to be a little funky. There's no video. It's it's much, it's much primitive times at the FDN podcast. But um, we had talked a lot about the thyroid things that Ryan dealt with. I encourage you guys, I'm going to have it in the show notes. Go click on that episode, listen to it, check it out. There's so many things there that you'd want to hear. But I, I think for today, just because it has been so long, Ryan, it would be worth just giving a small preface before we dive into our topic today of thyroid stuff and you know why the labs kind of trick us. And then we're also going to do um, a screen share. We're going to be analyzing some labs live. So you'll be able to check that out on our YouTube if you guys are listening, but it'll also still be audio friendly. So you can do either. But can you just give us a, a quick story of like what was going on with the thyroid thing? Like, how did you guys end up finding out that that was a, a major component of your health journey? Yeah. So I'm happy to to give an abridged version of that, <laughs> kind of a condensed abridged version. So perfect. basically had been struggling with chronic health related symptoms for over a decade that started by the time I was a teenager. Um, that included chronic allergies and asthma, depression, constipation that led into or developed into chronic fatigue. By the time I was in my early twenties, I had all kinds of unexplained skin lesions and rashes throughout my body. It was kind of a laundry list of symptoms. It just kind of went on and on. And throughout that 10 to 20 year period, even it was a long chunk of time. I had been basically jumping from doctor to doctor, to practitioner, to practitioner. I had even attended what's called a grand rounds at Yale New Haven Hospital. Had about 40 medical students uh, assess my health condition in one day. Um, and even even still up to that point, still hadn't found any answers uh, to what was going on with my health. Uh, so throughout my 20s, I lived a very poor and miserable quality of life, dealing with the depression, chronic fatigue, uh, the allergies and asthma were so debilitating that I would wake up every night pretty much um, wheezing um, and not being able to breathe. Hmm. Uh, that was even with the assistance of antihistamines and inhalers, right? Um, so I was just kind of like managing and just getting by, um, you know, just sneezing like 50, 100 times a day constantly. Could, couldn't get through a conversation without like, you know, mucus running down my nose or s- sniffling or sneezing, which also, you know, all this affected my self-esteem, my day-to-day ability to live a normal life. Um, I started at, at a certain point to experience a lot of puffiness or edema in the face and uh, so, so my biological age, if you look back at pictures of me from the early 2010s, like 2010, 2012, um, I, I feel like I look older then than I do now. So I've, I actually feel like I've been able to reverse my biological age through this kind of functional healing approach. Maybe we can include a before and after picture in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, so as it turned out, I'll keep it short. I, I was eventually able to find a doctor uh, in the in the Atlanta area where I was living at the time. He was a traditional medical doctor that was also licensed in traditional Chinese medicine. 
And he actually did spend some time with me and he ran a whole array of labs that no doctor had ever run on me before, including a thyroid panel. This is really key because no doctor up to this point had ever suggested the thyroid or even run a simple or basic thyroid panel. Calls me up uh, within 24 hours, calls me on the phone and says, hey, um, you've got Hashimoto's disease. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, I don't even know what the thyroid is, let alone this Hashimoto's character, right? Um, so this this kind of was the beginning of a, of a journey for me that led into the functional approach to, you know, lifestyle medicine and the, the FDN type approach. And uh, I can tell you that it was a huge relief off my shoulders in a weird way, knowing that there was a diagnosis, that there was something wrong. It wasn't just all in my head. I wasn't crazy. Um, within one day, you know, of getting on thyroid medication. And I, I say this with no exaggeration. It was overnight. I became a new person. My body was starved for thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. I woke up that next morning for the first time I had done this, maybe since I was a kid, I woke up with the sunrise without an alarm clock where I used to sleep through my alarm, just hitting snooze sometimes for two or three hours before I would wake up because the chronic fatigue was so bad. So woke up with a pep in my step, the depression lifted, my energy improved. Then from that point on, I was just hungry to learn more. You know, how does the thyroid work? Why does it become dysfunctional? What are the diet and lifestyle factors that are related there? Uh, that that kind of just led into an, an obsession, which still lasts today. Yeah. And that's why, I, yeah. thank you. That was like actually a perfect summarized version because I still think there's a ton of value then in the original podcast if they want the story. But today it shows, okay, this is why we're talking about this. And it's amazing. You know, you think, well, I thought at least somehow, like, how are we going to do all these episodes every week? Like, aren't we going to run out of topics? And yet here we are talking about something that you would actually think is quite basic in our world. But there's so many stories, so many topics that, you know, sometimes it takes this long to get to these types of things. And I'm glad to have you on today to do it. One thing I don't think we even talked about in that story, though, and perhaps you were saving it for when we're actually looking at these individual markers together today, was what your TSH was once you got the thyroid labs back. So um, we'll, we'll dive into it more. But just for right now, so the audience is like sitting on the edge of their seats. What is like a normal range of TSH? And then what was yours at the time, my friend? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it is the most dramatic part of the story. <laughs> so TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, that's what the acronym stands for. The, the clinical range from a conventional medical perspective is about 0.5 to about five. You might see some variation within that, but that's typically what you'll see. From a functional perspective, we want to see that even tighter, about 0.5 to 2.5, maybe even 0.5 to 2. Okay. Now, the thing to understand is that this is an inverse marker. It's a little counterintuitive, but I'll explain for the audience that the higher that number goes above a 2 or even a 5, the more elevated that number, the more it's an indication that your thyroid is slowing down. And as a result, that's going to slow down your metabolism, your mood, your energy, your digestion, your body temperature. It's like the, it's like the thermostat for the body. Sure. So if TSH is elevated, it's like a thermostat that's dialed down to like 60 degrees, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know who'd want to live uh, in an environment like that, right? But that's kind of what's happening in your body. So, okay, just wanted to provide some context there. When I was first diagnosed with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, my TSH was at 150, right? So to do some quick math here, if we're using even the conventional upper limit of a five for TSH, that's 30 times above <laughs> that reference range. If we're using the conventional range of like a 2.5, then it's 60 times above that reference range, yeah. right? Which is mm -hmm. kind of essentially like being in a metabolic coma, and the first thing the doctor said to me was, I do not even know how you've been able to get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Not only that, I'll add one more detail to this. On the lab report itself, I still have a copy. It didn't just say that the TSH was 150. It said greater than 150. And the doctor explained that that's where the lab actually tops off that it was some number greater than 150, but the lab couldn't get a reading higher than that. So 
that could have meant maybe it was 151, maybe it was 200. We, you know, we don't know. But in, in either case, astronomically high. And my practice working with clients with slow thyroid function in, my, in the past seven years or so, I still have not seen anything come close to that. Not that it's a competition, but um, just to, just to <laughs> not illustrate. when you want to win, that's for sure. Yeah. No, it's not when you want to win, but just to illustrate uh, just how out of whack my thyroid was. It was I was in a pretty bad state. Yeah, and um, I think it was good that we mentioned that because it is the craziest part for sure. And it's it's great that you found this these answers eventually, right? Because I know I've debated back and forth with certain people, not in our world, but they'll be like, well, do you think these labs are are useful? Don't you think you're scaring people sometimes if they see something? And all I ever say to them is like, I am so thankful that you have never been so sick that that is your perspective on lab testing like this. Because for us, it is the exact opposite. It's validation. It's not scary per se. I'm sure you didn't appreciate seeing that in that sense. But like, I also now have something to work on. I can go attack this, right? And it's not like you were... Uh, a particularly natural focused guy at that time. So you were probably just happened to, happy to find anything that could help you with relief. I mean, to the point that the next day, the medication is doing this. And I'm in mm-hmm. the same boat. I mean, I probably have not run nearly as many thyroid panels as you, but there was the one woman, and I actually brought her up to you before. She was at a 111, and that was that was four times higher than the highest I've ever seen on in my personal practice where I'm using it's laptop really people. High. Right. It was ridiculous. And so I kind of credited her with the same thing, but she's a mom, you know, she's doing all this stuff. I said, you know, I think it's fair. If we say it at 150, it's probably fair to say it at 111. I, mean, I, I remembered your story immediately and I, I referenced it. I said, it's impressive that you're doing what the heck you're doing every single day, playing mom, playing wife, when you got all this going on, because your body is not working with you right now, or the things you're doing is leading to your body not working with you right now. And, um, you know, between a combination of that medication, because she she did use that. And I, I like that you bring this up, because I always try to show people on this podcast, we're not being dogmatic one way or another. We believe that the functional and natural side is grossly underrepresented, but the medication is what got ryan monahan moving so that he could become the ryan monahan of today if you you know it, that'd be pretty tough to have all the necessary motivation to just habit your way into a better thyroid um number there like you needed some some kick and i'm sure getting that relief in a matter of i mean it wasn't perfect right but a major relief in 24 hours yeah that's got to be pretty damn motivating for someone who had felt like you felt really great point i'm glad you brought that up i do have a good handful or percentage of clients that come to me and they're, they're kind of anti-medication or they want to get off their thyroid medication. And I understand, you know, where they're coming from. But what I'll explain to them is that when the thyroid is under-functioning, sometimes we need to throw you a lifeboat when you're drowning. Before you, before you can get back on the shore, then once we have the high ground, then we can do that deeper investigation to find out what the hidden stressors are in the body and support the physiology. And then, then from that point, uh, once, once your health starts to improve, then, then maybe you can look at potentially weaning off that thyroid medication. Mm-hmm. But I, I really don't believe that's the best approach to do in the beginning when you don't have the, the lab data available, you don't know what's going on in your body, you're still struggling with these symptoms. Um, we need that lifeboat sometimes. Um, and that, and that's where, you know, the FDN approach, we see ourselves as allied, you know, health professionals and, you know, we're not anti-medicine. Uh, we want to use the best of both worlds. And, right. you know, like you said, I do feel that the, the holistic side is grossly underrepresented. Uh, and, but that's why we're here to teach our clients this, this set of, uh, skills, you know, so that they can use these tools for a lifetime to m- maintain their health. Absolutely. And people also need to realize if they're coming to us as clients, while there are many doctor FDNs, the majority, like higher than 50% are not doctors. You can't come to us and say, oh, I want you to get me off medication. That's not what we're doing. Now, what we can do is help you get your body so healthy that you and your doctor might be able to decide that you no longer need that medication. That's very realistic. That happens all the time in our world, actually. But that, that can't be the 
that can't be the focus that you're working on us with. Let's make the focus getting the body healthy. If you have that goal in the back of your head, totally fine. That's a personal goal. But we got to make sure we're doing that stuff properly. And, and I've had that experience with mental health clients, right? I'm like, I'm not telling them to get off medication. I'm not advocating for it at all. But the, sometimes the medications end up leading to symptoms because they no longer need it. So you'll know when you're ready to get off the medication. It's not going to kill you. And then you can go make that decision um, with your doctor. So with that all... Yeah, with that all said, I want to um, actually go over, again, these lab results with you. Now, thankfully, these are, are pretty decent ones. Um, but nonetheless, it's still going to give us an opportunity today to really break down each marker. And I guess, sorry, I jumped a little bit ahead. Before we do that, can we explain the difference really quick between what Western medicine, if they run the thyroid uh, markers at all, what are they going to run versus what would we want when we say a quote unquote full thyroid panel? Because that gets thrown around a lot. And I think there's a lot of confusion as to what that means. So what will Western medicine do ver typically, typically versus what mm. we actually want? So yeah, from the conventional medical perspective, they're typically going to run one single marker and one single marker only. And that's going to be TSH, which is mm -hmm. that thyroid stimulating hormone. Now here's what's interesting about that. TSH is not produced by your thyroid at all. It's a hormone that's produced by your pituitary gland. And essentially what that marker is telling you is the pituitary, which sits at the bottom of your brain, the base of your brain, that's producing this hormone to stimulate, kind of like poking the thyroid to say, hey, wake up, make more thyroid hormone, right? Mm -hmm. That's why when the marker is more elevated, that's usually because the thyroid is slowing down and the pituitary is trying to stimulate it back into action. But technically, you're really measuring this pituitary marker, which doesn't give you any insight at all into what the thyroid is actually doing. And is therefore, uh, in my strongly held opinion, a very, very limited perspective, extremely limited, right? It's like looking at a mountain range through a, like a peephole, you know, and, tr and trying to see the big picture. So if you're lucky, sometimes I'll see doctors also run maybe T4, like total T4 or free T4. We'll, we'll get into those when we look at the panel. Uh, sure. Maybe if you're really, really lucky, they'll also run T3 as well. But uh, I would say that's still fairly limited. Um, and what I'm wanting to see within a full, complete, comprehensive thyroid panel is the TSH, free T4, free T3, something called reverse T3, and then thyroid antibodies, which are the TPO, which is thyroid peroxidase, and then TGAB, which is thyroglobulin antibody. Those two antibodies will tell you if the immune system is mounting an inflammatory response to the thyroid gland. And that's where you get into the autoimmune territory, which, as it turns out, uh, is more or less inseparable from hypothyroidism. So that's, that's another thing I'm, I'm always trying to uh, get the opportunity to, to teach or educate on is that um, when someone says they have hypothyroidism, chances are their doctors have never run their thyroid antibodies, but there's about a 95% or more likelihood that they do have antibodies when, when there's hypothyroidism. The, the two are inseparable, the, the hypothyroidism and the Hashimoto's. 95% um, or more of the time they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So that's just another point I thought I would throw out there. Thank you. Um, for, for those that think like the antibody component doesn't matter, I, it, that's false or incorrect. <laughs> It, yeah. And the problem is, I think, is Western medicine. I mean, there's an extreme end of this and I'm, I don't want to misrepresent, uh, misrepresent what they do. But a lot of the times, if the antibodies are only elevated to a certain degree, you guys got to understand Western medicine doesn't know what to do about that. They're not thinking about the many triggers that could lead to an uh, thyroid being attacked, they can only treat it once there is symptoms. So if you're reacting, a very common one, I'm, this is elementary stuff in functional medicine, but gluten is a very common thing that is going to end up leading to the thyroid antibodies going up for people that are sensitive. It can kind of, uh, there's a process that can occur, which, which leads to that. Well, Western medicine is not even thinking like this most of the time. So they can only do so much with these markers anyway. It's not that they don't know they exist. It's not that they're being blatantly negligent. Uh, it's, that's not what the training includes. And even if it 
it does include it, there's only so much they can do. And my mom, um, you know, she got missed for years with this and even trickier because the Hashimoto stuff can be hard enough to find and the hypothyroidism stuff can actually be hard to find. But she was dealing with Graves disease, which is the much less common thyroid autoimmune disorder. It's pretty much in a sense, the exact opposite for those listening where, as you had said, like there's this counterintuitive thing where the TSH is high and it actually means things are going slow. My mom's TSH was extraordinarily low, like well below the reference range in functional and Western medicine. And it's everything speeding up. So whereas the Hashi's patients, you know, they'll be eating 1200 calories a day as fully grown women. And my gosh, they're gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. My mom at this, because we didn't know anything at this time, 10 years ago, she's coming home and eating, this isn't a joke, right? She'd eat a full thing of Chips Ahoy. She had these intense cravings and could just burn through food. She's getting like three, four hours of sleep a night. Her heart rate was sitting at around like 120, 130 beats per minute resting, just resting on the couch. I mean, so it is an entirely different type of uncomfortable because many of the Hashimoto's patients are very uncomfortable. So um, yeah, without further ado, let's get to some of these lab results here. Um, I'm going to pull mine up. So just for some context, this is from, um, what do you call it? Uh, May of 2020, I was running a a very large blood panel. I mean, there's a whole, we could spend three hours on this this panel together. I just ran general blood work. I wanted to see where I was at with certain things. Um, Many things, you know, I expected other things I didn't expect, but the thyroid stuff is something I don't mess with because of this family history of the Graves disease and the very similar symptomology my mom and I have had throughout time. So um, what do you think of my thyroid panel, Ryan? Do we approve of this? Is this full enough for you? Great question. So the first thing I'll (laughs) start with is the TSH. Actually, let me take a step back here too, just for for those that are going to be listening to this. Mm -hmm. I like to say that when the thyroid becomes dysregulated or dysfunctional, that this doesn't happen in a vacuum. Another way that we can say this is that the thyroid dysfunction is not the problem. It's a result of the problem. Okay. So When we're looking at a thyroid panel, we want to remember that the thyroid doesn't function in a vacuum. It doesn't function separate from all the other functions in the body, from what your liver is doing, your gut, your lymphatic system, your brain health. It's it's all interconnected, right? So uh, as FDNs, you know, we're speaking the language, same language you and I, Evan. Um, We know that everything is interconnected. And I just kind of wanted to make that general point first. Thank you. Sure. So... Okay, that, that TSH there, it's it's a 3.19. Is that correct? It's a, it's, the font size is a little small on my screen. I don't know sure. if I can zoom in a touch. How about that? Does that help? That's that's fine, yeah. 3.19, is that what that? Yeah, oh, even better. That is correct, okay. yes. Cool. So technically, that would be a touch high. That's mm-hmm. something I would want to investigate a little further. Now, notice there, the given the provided lab range is 0.45, so about 0.5 to 4.5. So that's that conventional uh, medical range there. So you're going to see the TSH looks normal, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. How many times is a doctor going to look at your lab test and say, everything looks fine. Everything looks normal, right? Classic line. Okay. So um, when we're looking at functional ranges or optimal ranges, they're going to be a little tighter because we want to be more proactive with our health and identify biomarkers before they start trending out of range. Mm-hmm. So from that tighter functional perspective, I don't really like seeing that above a 2 or a 2.5. 3.19 is technically a touch high, <clears throat> nothing that would um, scare me or cause me to, to uh, create, in a sense, of uh, alarm for the client. But it is something I'd want to investigate a little further. And if I saw that TSH trending a little high like that, I would want to look at the other thyroid hormones and see if those might be low. Because remember, the higher the TSH goes, typically what we'll see is that the actual thyroid hormones themselves are a little on the lower side. Right. Okay. So, for example, the T4 direct there, which we see at the bottom of the page, it says 1.34. I generally like to see that between 1.4 and 1.8. So this is making perfect sense. The TSH is a little high by just a touch. The T4, the free T4 is also just a touch a little bit low. So let me ask you a question, Evan. At this time, 
do you feel like you were feeling mildly sluggish, like a little bit of fatigue, brain fog, sleep issues, depression, anything in that realm, cold body temperature? Not the depression actually, or maybe a little bit of fatigue. Really, this had come after the pandemic in the beginning, at least, was almost a blessing in disguise for me because, you know, you and I are very similar in this sense. Like, we've had our health taken from us, but we're also super passionate people. And I was, this is when I was working on my book. I was speaking full time. I actually was coming off like some serious, I was still working other jobs. I was not in my space full time yet. Like I, I was doing other things I didn't want to do 40 hours a week and then going and doing the other stuff. Um, So I was just coming off of that. That had just ended in March of that year, uh, thankfully permanently. But I, you know, I knew I wanted to, all right, check in with my body and see like, all right, how, how are we doing here? Um, And thankfully for whatever it's worth. I should have prefaced this. I do know that the TSH is within range now. Um, I ended up running this later and it was finally, this was the first time in my life it was in that um, 2 to 2.5 range. It was a 2.4 because as a kid, it was a 4.5 and they said nothing about this at 17. Mm. And my parents and myself didn't have the training. We said, oh, it's within range. So I've seen this trend historically where when I was really sick, it was higher and then it had went down over time. So um, I didn't feel particularly bad, but I also... Well, I guess I didn't feel bad in a mystery sense. I knew what was going on because I had just beaten the hell out of my body for the last year or so. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what I'm saying now, too, is is somewhat nitpicky because right? we're already looking at That's pretty cool. t- tight ranges, right? So it's, it's mm-hmm. not that I would expect anything dramatic here. If anything, it'd be pretty subtle. You asked, too, if, if what your grade would be, and maybe call this like a B plus so far, right? <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah, let's look at, Free thyroid, thyroxin index. Um, I'd like to look at the uh, free T3, which is just sure below. Thing. It's cut off on my screen. It's just it's below 3.1. that. 3.1. Okay. So again, not bad. If I'm being nitpicky, the the optimal functional range for free T3 might be about 3.4 to 4.4, right? So mm-hmm. that would technically be from a functional perspective, if we're looking at wanting to achieve optimal health, just a touch low. Okay. Um, sure. Now, free T3, I'll just make a couple points here about these thyroid hormones, just to throw in some kind of interesting context. So, this is perfect. Yeah. Cool. So, with free T3, um, that's the actual bioactive form of thyroid hormone. Free mm-hmm. T4, it doesn't really have like as much of a metabolic effect on our cells and tissue. So, that T4, it Primarily, about 80% of T4 gets converted to T3 in the liver. So that means we also need the liver to be functioning well in order for that conversion to happen properly from T4 to T3, right? 80% of that conversion, that's a lot. The conversion doesn't happen in the thyroid. That's why, again, this holistic picture is so important. So when I'm explaining this to clients, I like to say that free T3 is like the accelerator pedal for the body. It is that important. We have receptors for T3 in every single cell of our body. I believe the only other nutrient or hormone that could be said for is vitamin D, right? Um, So those are the only two hormones in the body. And vitamin D is a hormone. I know you know that, Evan. Um, It should be called hormone D, not vitamin D. Um, (laughs) Those are the only two hormones in the body that we have universal receptors for. So that ought to tell you something about the importance of T3 to our body. Okay, so if T3 is the accelerator pedal, then let's now talk about what the brake pedal would be. And the brake pedal is going to be a little bit above uh, at at the top there. It's going to be the reverse T3, it's called. I think it was above the antibodies, actually. I think there's a little bit of a delay um, that comes on yours. So yeah, Yeah, there we go. Okay, so reverse T3, what it actually does is it blocks... The, the free T3 from getting into the cells. So with this reverse T3, we actually don't want it to be too high. And the optimal range for reverse T3 is, is really anywhere below 15. We want to see that ideally below 15. So again, so nitpicky here, I know, uh, but th- these results are pretty decent to begin with. Um, so we are technically a little bit above that 15 at a 17.3. So... Here's what happens. If the free T3 is a little bit on the lower end, 
it's kind of like we're letting off the gas in the body. Things are going to slow down. At the same time, if the reverse T3 is high, we're simultaneously putting down the brake. So if we're letting off the gas and pushing down the brake at the same time, what's going to happen? Things are going to slow down, right? Mm -hmm. Even further. So there's kind of like a double whammy effect there when you have the reverse, when the reverse T3 is high and the free T3 is a little lower, right? Gotcha. Now, in terms of the why, why does reverse T3 become elevated? Um, can be a number of factors. Stress is one of the biggest factors. And you mentioned that actually, right? That's one of the biggest drivers. <laughs> yeah. of, and and that's, that actually means our body has this really intelligent, innate mechanism to kind of force us to slow down when we're trying to push too hard and put too much stress on the body. Your metabolism goes, whoa, slow down. Let's put on the brakes. And it will, it'll do that for you if you're not doing it for yourself, which is kind of cool, right? <laughs> Um, vitamin D deficiency can result in higher reverse T3, um, estrogen dominance. So high levels of estrogen, cortisol dysregulation. So high cortisol, low cortisol, which is really synonymous with stress. If you think about it, sure. um, iron or ferritin deficiency would be another one. So those are the four or five factors that would cause elevated reverse T3, uh, which again is going to slow down the body, right? So um, kind of fun to get into some of these dynamics and talk about how things are interconnected. And if, if you're interested, I'll give your listeners another one too. Uh, I, this is exactly what I wanted to do today. So because we don't always get as nerdy on here, we kind of get into the stories and there's value to that, but I know that they also love this. So no, this is amazing. So please, yeah, whatever else you got. Uh, very cool. Let's, let's go back down to the free T4 and T3, please, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys today um, something that even I, I have found probably 95% or more of functional practitioners don't know, okay? <laughs> and that is what are the building blocks for thyroid hormone, right? Um, and this is important because it means we need to get enough of these building blocks somewhere, and we're going to ideally get most of those from the diet. So let's take T4 going to break this down really simple. What does the T actually stand for in T4? You taught me this before too. It's okay if you don't know. I, I, I forget. You have told me. I remember you yeah. telling me, but I forget. Okay. So the T stands for tyrosine. So tyrosine is an amino acid that we primarily get from protein in the diet. Mm -hmm. So meat, fish, chicken, eggs, pork, bone broth, collagen, right? Those are all going to be sources of tyrosine. So let's suppose we're not getting enough of those foods in the diet, or maybe we are, but we've got poor absorption because of what's going on in the gut, right? If there's gut dysfunction, maybe we're not breaking down protein into amino acids very well because there's issues with malabsorption or low stomach acid. So that's how, you know, digestion could be related to lower tyrosine intake, which can compromise our thyroid hormone production. Okay. So we need tyrosine. We need it to make thyroid hormone, right? Now, maybe this is a discussion for another time, but at, at the time of my thyroid diagnosis, at, at that point in my life, I was actually a vegan. I was eating a plant-based mm -hmm. diet. I was definitely not getting enough tyrosine in my diet, which was probably compounding things, right? It's going to be much more difficult to get enough tyrosine uh, from a plant-based diet. Okay. So the number four, uh, what that actually stands for is the uh, number of iodine molecules that it takes to make th that thyroid hormone. So with T4, we're looking at tyrosine plus four iodine molecules. So iodine deficiency, I believe is rampant. Most iodine in the diet we get from seafood, shellfish, and seaweed, like kelp, for example, right? Uh, those are not foods that are in most people's diet within the standard American diet, right? Um, but you actually need iodine to make thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. The only difference with T3, it's the same formula. It's, the T is tyrosine, but instead of four iodine, we have three iodine. So that's what those numbers actually stand for, four iodine molecules, and then three iodine molecules, respectively. 
So the reason I'm going through all this too is not just to geek out, but to talk about the importance of nutrient density and, and the importance of those specific nutrients that tyrosine and iodine that you know we need to be getting from the diet to have good optimal thyroid function and to, to keep our thyroid hormone levels optimal. Right. Um, one thing I'll uh, I'll throw in here because it was it was kind of weird. I, I didn't have confidence in the answer when you had said like what makes up the I, I didn't I did not remember that it was tyrosine, but somewhere mm-hmm. Ryan Monahan's words must have rang true because when you said like what are the building blocks here, I'm like oh amino acids. I know it's got to be amino acids, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't make that connection immediately between the tyrosine and stuff like that. And yes, you're you're absolutely absolutely correct that I would say. Many functional practitioners, if not that 90, 95% that you talk about, do not know that. I have never heard that discussed one time anywhere else except um, by Uh you. So it's pretty interesting to know. It's also fascinating as someone who has this family history of thyroid issues that I've also had an issue with the dopamine side of things, right? It's like, I I don't know if it'd be diagnosed ADHD, but there's definitely an aspect there, uh, you know, prone to substance abuse, prone to just obsessive things, like uh, obsessive natures with things that I'm super interested in. And then this like mixed ability, especially in school where I I know everyone obviously does better if they're interested in the topic. That just makes sense. But I've always described it to people that it was so extreme on either end. It went from if I'm interested, like truly interested, it's nearly perfect retention to if I'm not interested, I I just can't even do the bare minimum to get by in that area of, of schooling or learning or whatever. So it's kind of fascinating because FDN, I flew through it, no problem. And then you give me something that is five times less hard than FDN, and I will struggle with it so greatly because I just cannot get the focus. I mean, it's a little better now, right? But I just couldn't get the focus there to be able to do something like that. So I, I find it interesting that we're talking about tyrosine, which I, I would assume many listeners know this if they've made it this far and are nerding out this way. But just in case, I mean, tyrosine, tyrosine can be... Um, the thing that helps produce the dopamine, right? There's phenyl alanine involved as well, but you know this is something that would be related. So I'm kind of making that connection there in my head already, thinking about what I was like in high school with this high TSH, and I'm assuming these other numbers would have looked terrible had someone actually ran them, and um, my inability to focus and the lack of happiness and the need for substances to get through the day at that time of my life. Mm-hmm. Yep, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So- those symptoms you're describing, like the low attention, distractibility, those are classic low dopamine symptoms. And if I have a client in that predicament, one of the first things I'll suggest to them is just getting more protein in the diet. So they're getting more tyrosine, um, also improving their digestion and absorption so that they're breaking down the tyrosine from their, the protein in their diet. And then, you know, if, if those basics aren't working, then bless you, then we might work in some... Uh, amino acid precursors like the tyrosine. Uh, there's some formulas too out there. Like there's one I like called DOPA plus from pure encapsulations mm-hmm. that has uh, not only the tyrosine, but the other cofactors like uh, vitamin B6 and folate uh, that you need to convert the tyrosine into dopamine. Cool. Mm-hmm. cool All right, so what else do we need? Um, I guess, well, here, I'll ask questions that I could imagine would come up with the audience. All right, so we have the T3 uptake, and then we have the free T3. And again, maybe they haven't even heard of some of these markers. And then, there, of course, there's just the general T3. Um, I know that's probably a loaded question, but like, what the heck is the difference between all of those things? Because I don't think we've touched on the T3 uptake yet at all. Yeah, so when we're looking at free T3 and free T4, what the word free means is that it's not bound to a carrier protein. So one thing that is not on this thyroid panel that you usually won't run or see very much is something called thyroid binding globulin. It is something you technically can include in in a thyroid panel. And that thyroid binding globulin um, is the carrier protein that's kind of the transporter to, to bring this thyroid hormone around the body, okay? So on a little side note, if your thyroid binding globulin is too high, Uh, That can be one of the reasons why your free T4 and free T3 are low, uh, because too much of the free thyroid hormone is bound to the carrier protein. It's like the thyroid hormone is still in the car and it's not getting out of the car, right? Just to, I don't know, use like a loose analogy. Okay, so um, that free, that word free means it's bioavailable. It means your cells can actually take in uh, that thyroid hormone. 
When we look at thyroxine there, that's looking at the total amount of the T4 in the body, but not the free fraction or the bioavailable fraction of it. Mm. And same thing with that triiodothyronine, it's a kind of a mouthful, that T3 there, uh, which is at a 98. Uh, that's the total T3 in the <clears> body. So those can just kind of give you a quick check to make sure, like, is the body making enough uh, of those total amounts of thyroid hormone? And then the free fractions of those are telling us that there's actually enough for the cells to use and take in. Um, then the T3 uptake, as the name implies, it's, it's how much of that, that total T3 is, are the cells uh, uptaking or, or taking in. Um, sure. So, you know, it, that's expressed in a percentage form there uh, because it's the percentage of that, that total T3, right? Oh, okay. Um, then we didn't quite get into the thyroid antibodies. We have the thyroglobulin and the thyroid peroxidase. So we can see those are below one and below nine, respectively. Mm -hmm. Those are the two thyroid antibodies that I mentioned earlier. So those look great, but supposing that either of those were above 10, um, that's when I might start to consider that there's an autoimmune process going on here. What that actually means is that the thyroid is creating these antibodies, which is signaling the immune system to produce, you know, let's say neutrophils or other uh, first responder type cells to come in and actually cause destruction or attack the thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. Right. So, in a sense, you know, some people would say that when there's antibody presence to the thyroid, it's almost like a type of betrayal, like the immune system is turning on you and it's attacking your body's own tissue. The one important caveat I would add to that, though, um, I really don't like that kind of language that like the, the with autoimmunity, there's some kind of betrayal or that the body is somehow like stupid and doesn't like doesn't realize it's attacking itself. Right. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't believe there are any mistakes. I really think the body's always doing its best to protect you. So while the outcome may not be desirable, you know, it's, I'll, I'll go on a little tangent to explain this. Uh, I was recently working with a client uh, about a year ago who's a family therapist and she said something that stuck out to me, um, in, in as a reflection on her career in family therapy, she said, there is no dysfunction. There are no dysfunctional families. She said, there's, there's only function. And I, I, I kind of got what she was saying, but I asked her to elaborate and explain. And what she meant was that um, everyone is doing the best that they can with the tools that they have available. So mm -hmm. it, it may not be the, the most desirable outcome or situation that you're wanting within that family structure, but it's not dysfunctional, right? You're functioning. Right might just not be functioning the way you want it to. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I immediately had this kind of epiphany philosophically with the body that there, there are no mistakes. There's no dysfunction. Uh, the body's always functioning within, within the, the best of its capacity with the tools it's being given. Right. Right. So where we see these kind of um, errors of the immune system, so to speak, is usually when, uh, there's a lot of stress in the body, um, whether that's mental and emotional stress, infections in the gut, toxins, which even toxins can actually get into the thyroid. The thyroid is almost like a sponge for toxins, mm -hmm. right? So it has a high affinity for absorbing things like heavy metals. So for just to give an example, what the immune system might be doing when it's trying to cleanse or detox your, your thyroid from heavy metals or other toxins in the process, it's causing damage and destruction, but it's actually trying to protect you, right? Right. Or another, as another example, if you're eating gluten in the diet and that gluten represents an antigen or a, a food sensitivity, we know that gluten can be a major trigger for intestinal permeability, meaning that the gluten can leak through your gut into the bloodstream. And then that creates a situation where your immune system's trying to resolve that gluten antigen by, you know, breaking it down um, or removing it from, from the body, um, it might start, you know, firing off granules or little chemical bullets at the gluten. But then 
maybe there's a protein in the thyroid that looks really similar to the gluten protein. Mm -hmm. And so it starts also attacking the thyroid gland because it loses the ability to make the distinction between the gluten and the thyroid, uh, which we call that process is called molecular mimicry, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like uh, in the military, they use the term friendly fire, right? Which is not very friendly at all. Uh, It's kind of a euphemism. So in that case, again, that's your body trying to protect you against some kind of foodborne antigen or toxin in the body. Um, And in the process, unfortunately, your thyroid gets caught in the crossfire and you you can end up with physiological damage to your thyroid. So I know I went on a bit of a tangent there, but I I wanted to make that distinction because I do see a lot of practitioners out there saying, yeah, autoimmunity is your your immune (laughs) system attacking your thyroid there's a little more to it than that, right? And I do think it's your your body doing its best to try to protect you. Well, and that's why, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because it was a subtle thing, but you would probably know why I said it that way. I corrected myself in the beginning because I, I said something along the lines of that woman with the 111 TSH. I said her body was really messing her up. And then I, I stopped myself and I said, well, the things that she's doing is really getting the body out of whack, right? Because the, the TSH, it wasn't the body's problem right? She was eating certain things and doing certain things that were leading to this. And even in a case like cancer, because I can imagine if I'm an audience member, maybe one of the first rebuttals I would have to something like what you just said is, well, what about cancer tumors? That's the body doing something wrong. It's like, well, actually, it couldn't be doing something more right. It is trying Uh to concentrate all that bad. And then you get a tumor. That's why they cut it out because they're trying Uh trying to concentrate all that bad there. Like sequestering kind of. Sure. But the this is describing technically this philosophical idea that you're proposing is the fundamental difference in a sense between Western and functional medicine. Because the minute that you believe it is the body doing something inherently wrong, you treat it with medication. When you believe that it is the body doing everything right, but it's getting the wrong fuel, it instantly changes it to a personal aspect where, okay, well, what am I putting in? What's going on? Um, And it's not so black and white, right? Because we talked about the um, aspect of like the life jacket type of thing with needing the thyroid medication. That's fine. There is a certain time where we get to it, uh, where we get in our health where yes, we might just need the Western medicine and that's totally fine and appropriate. But generally speaking, you have to understand this philosophical difference. Otherwise there's no reason to take the natural route. Your body though is meant to survive. And if you buy into the idea, which I personally do, that we are the best of the best genetically that have made it to this point. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen in history for you to be Mm -hmm. alive right now, listening to this podcast. In theory, you should be the strongest of the strongest genet, um, the strongest of the strong, I should say genetically. So don't tell me that the strongest of the strong somehow leads to 50% of Americans or 48% of whatever it is having diagnosed chronic diseases, you know, one in four dying of cancer, one in four having mental health issues. I'm not buying that. That is what the strongest of the strong genetically just happened to look like. I think this is a result. And clearly you believe this as well of the things that we're doing in our modern world. So the body's doing the right thing. It's trying to protect you. But when we do the right things and put in the wrong fuel, it's never going to work. Such an, such an extremely important point, because when we're looking at that dysfunction, quote unquote, in the body, we have to look at the, the entire epigenetic environment you know, what is, the, what is that person putting into their body? Are they putting in fuel that is biocompatible with their, their cellular machinery? Or are they putting sand into the gas tank and then wondering yeah. why my body is not working, right? Um, are they exercising? Are they managing stress? Are they optimizing their, their sleep hygiene, right? All these, all these different factors where uh, we are this finely tuned biological machine that has to kind of follow, in a sense, these these laws, these biological laws. Um, and if we try to break them, a really simple analogy, I make this sometimes, use this with my clients. Like we know in order for a plant to survive, it needs some pretty basic things like sunlight and water mm-hmm. and healthy, nutrient-dense soil. If you saw someone, I've got a snake plant behind me. And if, if you saw me pouring like a liter of Coke in there to water the snake plant, you, you would think I'm insane, right? <laughs> or that something is wrong with me mentally um, because you know just automatically, intuitively that, that that's going to kill the plant, right? That the plant is going to fail to thrive or maybe even die. So, and yet amazingly, 
Yeah. You could do that same thing with a human and no one bats an eye. <laughs> no one bats an eye, right? But uh, I would look at that as the same type of insanity, right? That mm-hmm. we're putting something that's completely uh, incompatible with our biological function, and but we, we normalize it and we justify it as normal. Uh, and then we wonder why we have a nation of people uh, struggling with diabetes and obesity uh, and insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and all these things are on the rise. Right. Um, for for yes. hundreds of thousands of years, um, you know, Coca-Cola or sugar water wouldn't even have been uh, something that would be available for humans if we wanted it. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a new phenomenon. So we're, we're amidst this kind of science experiment that we're that we're conducting on the human race with with processed foods. Um, and then you add it onto that, like a sedentary lifestyle, uh, increased amounts of, of work related stress toxins in the environment and it, you get into this kind of perspective on disease that it's, it's actually the, the environment or the epigenetic environment we find ourselves living in that's just not compatible with our optimized uh, optimal function from that evolutionary perspective right um damn me and you could go forever i know we're running a little short on time and i I want to be respectful to it so thank you so much for coming on one thing i wanted to do really quick and we could just kind of fly through it is i picked these labs i mean i know they're mine but i actually picked them very specifically because i knew that they were walking on the edge of the functional side so for those that are on the audio only i will put it this way every single thyroid marker that we talked about today on my labs to be clear in the western sense is all within range. Um, and I know there's, I mean, you're a brilliant guy, so maybe it's not that hard for you to do offhand, but I don't know if you were just talking functional ranges for certain things versus Ryan Monahan ranges. So mm. let's talk about generally accepted functional ranges. And we're just going to go over for the audience. I'm going to go marker by mm. marker. I'll read them out loud. And you tell me if this actually would have passed a functional range. So reverse T3. No. Okay. Thyroglobulin, mm-hmm. an, well, sorry, the antibodies, that was stupid. The, um, they're all yeah, good, obviously. The antibodies, yes. That, that's where you get a passing score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really um, cared about that, obviously, with this history of the Graves disease in the family. So I was happy about that. TSH, we already discussed, would not pass a functional range, correct? Correct. Correct. T4. T4, I would say it's... No. You, you, I'd want to see that a touch higher. Let me think here for 16. I want to see that at least at an eight, at least at an eight okay. or a little higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. T3 uptake. Yeah. yeah. Would want to see that above like 30, 35 more towards the top okay. and more towards the top end of that reference range. The free thyroxine index. That free thyroxine index. Again, I'd want to see that above like a 2.5 or a three. So okay. no, would, wouldn't, wouldn't pass that, that, optimal score okay t3 yeah yeah again you know at least uh, above 120 140 so not not quite and then um the free t4 and free t3 nope (laughs) okay (laughs) yep so then just to be clear yeah. This is and this so this is why I picked these labs because this is to prove the point to people. Because thank God I was trending in the right direction. I already know this health stuff, so I'm moving in the right way. But there's many people that are sitting in this right now. And if you are lucky enough to get the full thyroid panel, which is a one in a hundred thousand uh, circumstance, it seems. Yeah. What wouldn't have been shown here is that out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten markers, eight out of ten of them did not pass a functional range. And yet everything came up fine. Uh, it's, it looks green for those on audio. Like in Western medicine, this is all good. This, I think, is, I mean, I never intended it for, to be, uh, for it to be that back in May of 2020, but this ends up being a perfect example of where Western falls really short with preventing these issues with people, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say again, you know, I, I'd still give it like a B plus. Nothing is dramatically off, but still like, <laughs> Don't we all want to achieve optimal health, not just kind of, yes. yeah, pretty good. Is that how you want to live your life? It's good enough, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe I don't want to pass judgment for, for some people that that might be perfectly fine. But uh, I, for me personally, I am here to live an optimal life as much as possible. Most clients come to me because that's what they're looking for themselves as well. So that, that they, they can go out into the world and kick ass, um, you know, in their career, their family, travel, start a business so that their, their health is not an obstacle that's in the way of their, their, um, 
they're being able to live the most fulfilling life possible. Yeah. And speaking of clients, guys, obviously you can tell this, I think if it's your first time listening to Ryan, one, I tell you this all the time, my friend, obviously you're brilliant, but then on top of that, you have the extra level of being able to teach this because I have seen you when you're just going off, off the level of depth that you can take with these things. If you actually want to, and just show off or something like that, or just maybe you're talking to someone who is able to understand it is amazing. But then to be able to flip that and use probably 25 different analogies today that actually help it stick into people's heads. Um, that that's two different types of gifts. So that's very cool. If someone wants to work with you and have those gifts, you know, used on their own case, where can they find you? And who's like, um, what's your niche if you have one still to this day? If you, because I know you probably work with a lot of people. Yeah. So, so for those that are interested in reaching out to me, asking a question, or potentially working together, they could find me at my website at themindfulnutrivore.com. I actually have a, a a biography, a video biography, right on the homepage, and that's a great starting place. It's about a five minute mini documentary about my own health journey. I definitely recommend uh, watching that. It was a labor of love. I I worked with a close friend of mine that's a cinematographer. So we got some really beautiful shots. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I have a services page on there that outlines like how I work, what my rates are, what those packages include. Um, You could also email me at Ryan at the Mindful Nutrivore if you were interested in uh, setting up like a free 20 minute consult. We can chat about your health history. I uh, can learn more about what your what your goals are, and we can see if we'd be a good fit to work together and kind of talk further about that. So, um, definitely uh, available to to work with folks that are interested. And if you guys are going through the FDN course, this is someone, Ryan, that is someone that you'll see all the time once you graduate. He literally is in there constantly helping people. So, um, thank you so much for coming on today, my friend, and doing what you do. Thanks so much, Evan. Glad to be here. Let's do it again soon. All right, folks, that'll do it for today's episode with my friend Ryan Monahan. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this one. This is a different format. We had tried it before and then the video didn't work out because the person was on their phone and I was like, oh my goodness, not Ryan, but someone else, um, our friend Barbara, we didn't realize that it wouldn't work on the phone and we didn't have the video of the labs despite her awesome analysis of my labs. And so we hope you like this one. We are definitely going to do this in the future with other labs because you can listen to it if you want, but you can also get the video experience and really learn something on these types of episodes. So let us know what types of labs you would like to see next. Would you like hormone testing, stool testing, functional blood chemistry? We can do it all at FDN. (laughs) So if you want to see those, drop me a comment on Podbean. Go to Google and search for Podbean, the Health Detective Podcast. It'll come right up and then you can leave a comment there. I am looking forward to talking to you guys again soon, but until that day, take care.